Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well. Hope everybody's doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. I'm praising the Lord, man. It is currently 9.18 a.m. Uh, when I'm recording this. I woke up at like 5.22. I went to bed at like 12.30, but I just woke up from like a dead sleep at 5.22 and just was like, uh, something I always say in my head, I'm like, who could sleep when God loves you? And I got up and I've been up since then. Oh my gosh, just been sharing intimacy with Jesus. He's been showing me such awesome things in the word. He's been sharing his heart with me. He's been gracing me. I've been gracing him. I'm so very excited to be back. As you can see, the set changed again. Um, I'm not going to go into reasons why, but uh, you know, don't worry about it, all right? Don't worry about it. Um, we're just going to roll with this for now. Uh, I'm going to, some of you might have saw, I was thinking about switching back to just the audio, but I'm going to try visual still. Um, I've ha I have a friend that edits and I'm going to attempt to edit myself because I'm blessed and Jesus lives in me and he can edit videos and, uh, amen. Praise God. I am so excited for this series. This is my first ever series, I guess. Um, it's called Jesus loves to eat. I know that's a weird title, but uh, it's going to be awesome. There's going to be a part one and a part two, maybe a part three with my wife. That would be cool. I can talk her into that. I know she wants to do that. And uh, what we're going to do here is uh, you might have heard me say this before, but the bigger a building is, the deeper the foundations you have to lay. So this, this, um, first series this this the first episode in this series it's going to be a lot of foundation we're going to be laying a lot of groundwork and things of that nature so you might be hearing things and you might think well what does that mean and what does that mean and, and why are you bringing all this up and i might not go into it at the moment but uh just stick with me if it doesn't make sense now i promise it's gonna make sense in the second one amen that was hilarious did you hear that squeak all right amen um let's just i'll end with a prayer instead of starting with one so we have our bibles here i'm excited this is jesus loves to eat this is part one which is called come and dine i want to turn over to john chapter 21 uh who doesn't love the book of john uh I only trust people whose favorite gospel is John, to be honest with you. Just because it reveals the heart of God so plainly, and it's awesome. Excuse me. Alrighty, so in John chapter 21, I won't not take the time to read through the whole chapter, but basically, this is after Jesus has rose from the dead. He is, uh, his disciples, they've gone back to their regular jobs. They've almost given up, lost hope in one sense, and, uh, they're kind of discouraged, and Peter's kind of leading them, and, you know, I guess who could blame them? But they've seen Jesus at this point, so I've always been confused, but, you know, humans are humans sometimes. And Jesus appears to them, uh, so they, they fished all night. In verse 4 it says, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Now, if you've seen my teaching on uh, 
Seeing Jesus, or I've Just Seen Jesus is the name of it. I think it's episode 15. No, 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 no. That can't be right. I'm on 22. It's like 19. Yeah, I believe it's 19, episode 19. I talk about uh, why they didn't know that it was Jesus. It's not because of anything physical. It's a spiritual thing going on here. So they knew not that it was Jesus. Verse 5, Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat or have you any food, he's saying? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. This is a repeating miracle. Uh, Jesus did this at the start of his ministry in Luke chapter 5, and he's repeating this to put familiar, familiarity in the hearts of his disciples so that they would know who it was. And there's other symbolism going on. Verse 7, Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto, P unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. He wasn't naked like we think naked. Verse 8, And the other disciple came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were 200 cubits or 300 feet, dragging the net with fishes. So Jesus is on the shore. They're on the boat. Um, there so many fish. They've they've caught so many fish. They're coming back to the shore now. And verse nine: As soon as as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many yet was not the net broken. And then verse 12 is what we're really trying to get to. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And it says, And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? But I just want to focus on that phrase. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. What this is, is an open invitation that Jesus is placing to his disciples to come and feast. And uh, we're really going to get into some of this what does dining mean? What's the significance? But uh, I want to point out some of the symbolism here. Um, fishes, everyone, you know, it's most popularly, popularly taught as um, the fishes are people and they're drawing the people in, which is not untrue. But what I want to focus on is verse 9. As soon as they were come to land, they saw fire of coals there, fish laid thereon, and bread. What do we have? We have the fire of coals. We have the new... Um, you know, 50 days from now, uh, the day of Pentecost would come and the fire of the Holy Spirit would be poured out on his new temple, which is you, oh, beloved. It's, it's you. You're the temple. You are now the abiding place of God Almighty. How exciting is that? Hope you brought your shouting clothes. Amen. You got your fire of coals there. You have fish laid there on and bread. You have meat. What is meat? Jesus said in John 6, 38, he said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and, and to, to finish the work that he has called me to do. Meat is purpose. Fish, you know, fish is meat. And then you have the bread of life. That's what it is, right? You have, the, you have all these things you have. And, and, and what is the meat? What is the purpose? We know, if you watched one of my other episodes, one thing is needful, the meat the purpose of your life is fellowship, friendship, intimacy with Jesus. 
So this is all just a picture. Jesus has these things set up. He's saying the fire of the coals, you know, it's the in it's the the filling of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues that will allow you to fulfill your purpose in a greater sense, which is your intimacy with Jesus. And then you can partake in the bread of life. You can you can feast on Jesus. He can become your substance. Amen. And uh praise God, that's hefty. That's uh that's enough to chew on for a little bit. But uh you know, the Holy Spirit, it's the Bible says, and uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, the, the scriptures inspired by the Holy Ghost, the, the, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity is the one who uh, brings these scriptures to life. And when you go through, uh, I'm not talking about getting born again, I'm talking about a separate experience. I'm talking about um, allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell in you, just like they did in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 19. You can read 1 Corinthians 14, all these things. Give me one second. Praise the Lord. I just want this a little higher. Praise God. Thank you guys for bearing with me. The Holy Spirit inspires the scriptures. And uh, it says that he, in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says that he, he is the one that sheds the love of God abroad in your heart. He's the one that does that. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, really what's happening is, all the power and love and presence of Jesus that's already inside of you because you accepted Christ, all of it's already there. When you, when you tell, Lord, I want more, I want to experience your love, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit, what happens is all of that inside of you is released, and then you and it's, it's released in many ways, gifts of the Holy Spirit. You understand the Scripture more. Um, you speak in a heavenly language. You speak in tongues. Uh, it's a beautiful love language and intimacy between you and your Father. That's why this uh, you have the fire of coals, which will enable you to have uh, the, the fish, a meat, a purpose, which will allow you to partake of that bread of life. That's what we're doing here. We're coming to dine. I want to turn to chapter... Uh, turn to chapter... Revelation chapter three. This is one. Of, this is probably top ten verses for me. I don't know. It's awesome, man. Revelation chapter three, verse twenty. Jesus is talking to the seven churches, and he and he says to one church, uh, he says, verse twenty. You know, this verse is usually used to uh, um, have evangelistic style meetings, which is cool and it's a truth, but it's actually written to believers. So this is Jesus' uh, cry and plead to you. He says, Behold, we all know what that word means. It means to look upon, fasten your eyes, to perceive. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Jesus 
wants to eat with you. I like the uh, New Living Translation on this verse. It says, I will come in and we will have a meal together as friends. What's better than that, man? have a meal together with friends what is what is jesus talking about come and dine he's talking in this i want to have a meal you know one of the ways the lord explained this to me which um i know i'm kind of touching on things fast but like i said we're just laying a groundwork so then we can build up on the next episode but i'll say this one of the things the lord used for me to explain this concept of eating and whatnot is uh it's just friendship that's all it is. It's friendship. It's intimacy. And he said to me, he said, um, I've had a, I had a very close friend group in high school. I'm, I'm still very close to most of them to this day. They were in my wedding, my, one of my best man, you know, they're people I was friends with in high school and drumline is, uh, kind of what we all did together, the five and the six of us. And, uh, he said to me, what's the thing you've probably done most with your friends? And I thought about it and I said, we went and ate food. We, you know, we went and ate out. We went, we went to Asian Express in Paulding County, dollar scoop. And I thought about that. We went to Waffle House. You know, we, we went to IHOP. We had these restaurants that we bonded over. And why? Was it because of the actual food? No, it's because of the friendship that was created. And it's just true, man. There's something about, you know, we call it, it's kind of cliche, but there's something about breaking bread is what they call it, you know, and that's a Bible term, you know, in Acts chapter two, I believe it is. Um, it's, it's intimacy. It's a form of how comfortable on you, are you when you're eating with someone, your guards down, you're just enjoying food, you're relaxed, you know, in a sense, your flesh is pleased <laughs> because you're getting food into it. The other person feels that way. You're 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 all creating this atmosphere of intimacy. You're sharing things. Maybe you're talking about other experiences you had at other restaurants or other foods you had, and that leads to other memories and so on and so forth. And uh, this is also a very Jewish concept, and um, you can see that in Genesis 18 when. Um, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit manifested in, in, in three men, uh, almost like a pre-incarnate Jesus type of deal. Or It's just symbolism. We're not sure exactly how all it works. But in Genesis 18, these three men come randomly to Abraham's house. And I'm just going to turn over there real quick. And of course, you know, three mysterious men approaching um abraham who's called the friend of god you know who could it be it's you know it's god you know i think it uh, might say that it's angels and stuff like that but um you know the angel of the lord in the old testament and that's jesus so i believe this is the trinity approaching their good friend abraham and what happens uh abraham abraham says my lord if now i have found favor in thy sight pass not away i pray thee from thy servant let a, let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent and unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, uh, kneeled it, and make cakes upon the hearth. Abraham ran into the herb and fetched a calf, uh, tender and good, that's meat, and gave it unto a young man, and he hastened to dress it. 
And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. You know, Song of Solomon 2, 3 says, My beloved, my Jesus, he is like an apple tree among the, the trees of wood. So is my beloved among the sons of men. And then the, the woman, the soon-to-be bride, says about her soon-to-be groom, uh, she says, um, I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Now, that's what she felt about God. Now, look at Abraham doing this for his friend, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're, all three of them are, are in such close intimacy, and now they've brought Abraham in. What a, what a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Whew, I'm not going to get off on that because it's exciting. But you see here, this is actually a Jewish custom. If you talk to any Jewish person, they should know that uh, it's customary inviting somebody in to their house to um, make them food. And you guys got to think too culturally. Think about this. Man, you made your own food. You had your own animals. Like it was a big deal to prepare a, a meal and especially for someone else. And when someone else came, you wanted to serve them. Notice Abraham, he said, I want you to rest. I want you to enjoy your water. You know, let me let me wash your feet. That's what Jesus did to his disciples as a form of servitude and love. And Abraham is wanting to do that for this mysterious trinity that's appeared on his front door. I hope you're getting the picture here. So it's a this custom, it's it's really Americans kind of don't understand it or us in the western world, but uh we had a guy the one year I went to Bible school we had a guy who uh, was um, Eskimo, and he was, you know, I guess the Eskimo people are big people. That's what he was telling us. And he was saying, like, if you went into a house and you didn't finish all that food, it was a sign of disrespect. So this is a cultural thing. It's a, it's a thing of friendship. It's a, it's a thing of intimacy. And now I'm going to go back into the Old Testament and show you different pictures and uh Anyone who thinks that the Old Testament and all of it isn't about Jesus, they don't know, like in Luke 24, verse 28, where Jesus is walking with his two disciples on the road, he told them, it's, it says that he, he uh, expanded on the scriptures from Moses to all the prophets. I don't know if you know when that is, but that's from Genesis to Malachi. That's the whole Old Testament. And it says, Jesus expounded unto them of these scriptures concerning himself. That means all these scriptures point to Jesus in some way, shape, or form. And I don't believe it's reading too much into it. The whole Bible is centered around Jesus. The Old Testament is centered around the Messiah that would come. The New Testament is looking back to the Messiah that did come. And his name's Jesus. He's the revealed glory of God. He is the word made flesh. Amen. And then John chapter 5, verse 39, it says, um, Jesus said to the Pharisee, he said to them, uh, you think you, you have life in the scriptures, but the scriptures testify of me. So that includes everything from Genesis to Malachi. It's all about Jesus. I want to go to 1 Samuel 16 here. What we have here is David, and um, the next chapter is a very famous chapter. It's 
1 Samuel 17, it's where David fights Goliath. But this is beforehand when um, Samuel, God tells Samuel to get up, fill his horn with oil, and to go anoint the next king of Israel because Saul had been disobedient and uh, Saul had lost his intimacy with Jesus. He is intimacy with God. He he uh, had been lifted up in pride and in, in, in law and not grace. And uh, what we have here is David. He's a young man. This is him. Uh, his father is sending him to the to the battlefield where Goliath is. So none of that's happened yet. But his father sends him. And uh, most people know, but I'll just say it real quick. David is one of the strongest, biggest typologies in the Old Testament for Christ. It's it's you know, uh, even in the New Testament, it talks about how Jesus is the son of David. God used him mightily. Um, the Psalms are so prophetic about Jesus, and David's life is a mirror in a lot of ways of what Jesus would do. And so First uh, Samuel chapter 16, uh, verse 19, it says, Wherefore Saul, the king of Israel, sent messengers unto Jesse, which is David's dad, and he said, Send me David thy son, which is the sheep, which is with the sheep, uh, because... Um, Amen. Never mind. I'm not going to go into that. But anyways, so King Saul wanted David to come. And then verse 20, And Jesse, David's dad, he took an ass laden with bread, bottle of wine, and a kid, which just means like a baby goat or a baby cow, meat again. And he sent them by David his son unto Saul. David not only represents Jesus because, but David represents the new covenant of grace, which is Jesus. The revelation of grace is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said in Galatians 1. And notice that, man. It says that he sent them by David, his son. God has sent grace by Jesus, his son. And it says he sent him unto Saul. Jesus said, I did, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. That's what he did. You know, whoo, praise God. No, I'm not going to get off on that because we'll be here. But that's not my point. Anyways, a little freebie there. But notice what he sent with him. He sent with him bread. He sent with him wine. He sent with him meat. These are all symbols of the New Testament. We have the bread, the body of Christ. We have the bottle of wine, which is his blood that was shed for the remissions of sin. And uh, we're going to talk about communion a little bit. I'm hoping, I think that's going to be the third part in this series. And, uh, man, the, that just goes so deep with all these things. But anyways, you guys see the picture I'm getting at. This is an Old Testament picture of Jesus coming with, with, with bread and with wine and with meat, you know, for the sacrifices himself, his body, what his purpose was, what our purpose is now. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I would love to go to, you know, actually, we might go back to Genesis 18, because I didn't talk about Melchizedek, which is something I really want to highlight. I think I've talked about Melchizedek before on this show, podcast, whatever you want to call it. I don't even know what it is anymore. I thought about changing it to the Godcast, but that was taken, so... <laughs> Uh, man, 
Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I'm just thinking here. Where do we want to go? Well, I can't find the scripture, but I can quote it. So here we go. Uh, Jesus uh, is the picture of Melchizedek. And that's in Hebrews chapter 7, it says. I'll read that real quick. So like we said, these are all Old Testament pictures of Jesus. There's a, um, It's written in Psalms, and it's actually God said to his son in Psalms, he said, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, meaning in the same way, that Melchizedek was a priest, that's the way that you're a priest. We won't get into all that, but it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being interpreted, his, his name Melchizedek, it means king of righteousness. And after that, also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Clearly, Jesus, Jesus is king of righteousness. He is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abides a priest continually. So Jesus, this Melchizedek in the Old Testament, is a picture of Jesus. You know what I bet I could do? Genesis 14. That's what it was. Sorry, I had 18 in my head, but we already looked there. So I want to read this in Genesis 14 real quick. So Abraham's, at this point his name was Abram, Abram's nephew Lot, he had run off and got trapped and Abraham went to go save his skin pretty much. And after that, it says these kings came out and they blessed Abraham. And in verse 18 in Genesis 14, it says, and Melchizedek, okay, okay, before I read this, if you can close your eyes, please do it. But what this says Melchizedek is doing, I want you to picture Jesus is doing this for you. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and be blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Talking about Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. Wow, what a picture. We just have Jesus. I, I always picture it, bread in one hand, wine in the other, and he's walking towards you with open arms. Uh, what does this mean, Brock? I, I won't get into it too much. Like I said, uh, it's really tempting, but this is a picture of the new covenant. He's saying this is the bread of my body. This is the blood, and it represents the new covenant of grace and of mercy, and of friendship, and of relationship, not law, and regulations, and rule, and a, a covenant where you are not sin conscious, but you are righteousness conscious, and uh, we're going to get into what the bread and the wine mean in the next episode, so again, another Old Testament picture, I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, I hope you guys are enjoying this as much as I am. I'm curious uh, if anyone actually has their Bible in front of them and turn.
returns to everything that I say or or all that stuff, then uh, I'd love to know. I'm so curious who actually does it, if they do. If not, no worries, man. No worries for just your heart to take in the Word of God. But uh, the eyes can definitely help that as well, looking at the Scriptures. So, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, I love this chapter. It's the chapter where David has now become king over Israel and Judah, I believe. And he's bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. Just Jesus, man. This is, this is man, another picture of just the, the, the new covenant coming in. Because the Ark represents Jesus as well. It all represents Jesus. David represents Jesus. Bread represents Jesus. Wine represents Jesus. The meat represents Jesus. David, the ark, all these things, they all represent Jesus. And that might be confusing, but it's really not. Once your heart grasps it, then your mind just follows after. So David, they're having this, this grand ce uh, celebration. He brings the ark, but he doesn't do it right, so he puts it in another man's house. And then that other man gets blessed, and fast forward, David wants it back at his at his place. So uh, in verse 19, they're having this, this great celebration. Oh my gosh, I got to back up to verse 18 because it's so good. No, I'll just back up to verse 17. So they're having a celebration. They're bringing the ark. They're praising the Lord, musical instruments. Uh, this is the iconic scene where David is just dancing before the Lord is what it says. And he didn't care who saw him. Verse 17, and they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in, it, in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. This is a picture of Jesus coming to earth, to the, the earthly tabernacle and dying. And he's made burnt offerings and peace offerings. And now he has made it so that you can have peace before God. Hallelujah. Verse 18. And as soon as David made an end of offering, burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord host. Hallelujah. I don't know if you heard that, but it said that David made an end of the offerings. That's right. That's what Jesus did. You no longer have to beg and plead with God to forgive your sins. They're already forgiven, and he did it without your permission. First John chapter 2, verse 2, right? Uh, Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. Now, somebody does have to have faith in Jesus to receive this forgiveness one time, that's what 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is talking about, getting forgiven of all unrighteousness. Because once you're born again, you do not have an ounce of unrighteousness in the real you, which is your spirit. I'm not talking about your mind or your body, but your spirit. And then when you ask for forgiveness, the forgiveness that's already in your spirit is just released. God is not holding your sins against you any way, shape, or form. And that's just the intro to the gospel. The intro, the doorway to the gospel is God is not mad at you. Amen. That's It goes so much deeper than that, though, but that's definitely the doorway, the entryway to get you into it. Man, I just freaking love that, dude. He has made an end of offering burnt offerings. You no longer have to toil before God. And you know what? In the Old Testament, they, it was a continual thing, year after year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice. And none of these sacrifices, neither by the blood of bulls and of goats, could all your sins be purged once and for all, past, present, and future sins of the whole world, but by the blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. First John, no, excuse me, John chapter 1. Uh, you know, uh, John the Baptist says, 
when he says he sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. He was the perfect sacrifice. And you know what? When you're when you are sin conscious and you keep asking God for forgiveness and you you sin and you ask for forgiveness and you sin and you ask for forgiveness, you're still sin conscious. And you're doing the same thing that the Old Testament sacrifices did was to remind you of sin in your life. But sin is now obliterated. It is no longer an issue with God. Jesus took care of it because God is a spirit and he looks at you in the spirit. Praise God. David has made an end of the offerings. Jesus has made an end of the Old Testament offerings. Amen. Verse 19. Here's what we're trying to get to. And he, David, dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as the women, as men. He dealt everyone a cake of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed everyone to his house. What a picture. After Jesus has died and resurrected and ascended, now... Every person can partake of the bread. Every person can drink of the wine. Every person gets, gets a purpose, gets intimacy with Jesus now because of one man's sacrifice. Praise God, man. That is so cool. That is such a cool picture. I'm going to read it one more time. He, David, or Jesus, dealt among all the people, everyone, all tribes, all nations, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as the women to the men. No one is excluded from this new covenant intimacy and friendship with God. He dealt to everyone that a cake of bread, uh, the good piece of, wa uh, good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed everyone to his house. <laughs> I don't know how much more clear you can get, man. This is so awesome. The scripture is so open to us because when you understand grace, the whole Bible makes sense. I read the Bible and studied it for a long time without the understanding of grace and what Jesus did at the cross, forgiving all past, present, and future sins forever, and I no longer had to worry about my sin in any way. I didn't understand that, and this book was closed to me. It says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The reading of the Old Testament, there was a veil on their hearts because they do not understand the new covenant. They're still in the old covenant, which it says in 2 Corinthians 3 is a ministration of death. Praise God, man. I want to go to Exodus. I've been reading Exodus a little bit lately. Um, I've never read through the whole thing. I got four chapters left, um, so I'd like to finish that. But uh, one thing I stumbled upon that I returned to for weeks, probably about two or three weeks, uh, was this story, and um, I find Exodus insanely interesting. The symbolism, just the pictures of grace, of Jesus. Blessed. Thank you. I'm like Blake, man. Blake holds in all, almost all his burps, but we like to get him to belt it out because better out than in than I always say. Amen. <laughs> but uh, Exodus, I find it so interesting, the early dealings that God has with his people. His people are out of bondage, out of Egypt. Metaphorically, they are out um, of sin. They are born again out of the bondage of sin. And uh, God wants to have intimacy and friendship with his people in here. And I, I, I mentioned this story a little bit last podcast, but I didn't dive into a certain aspect of it, which I want to now, which is... um. 
Let's start Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. It says, And all the people saw thunderings and lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were moved and stood afar off. You know, it's just like Cain in Genesis chapter 4. It says that Cain departed from the presence of the Lord. Not God departed from us. We departed from us. His name is Emmanuel. That's the Old Testament name for the Messiah. And it means God with us. God never to leave, never to depart, yet we departed from him. What a picture. Verse 19. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto all the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Reverential fear, not scary fear. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew nigh unto the thick darkness where God was. So that is Exodus um, 20. Let's go over to Exodus 24, four chapters later. And uh, verse 9, it says, And Moses went up, uh, excuse me, then went up Moses, King James uh, syntax, then went up Moses, Aaron, and Nadab, and Abihu, and uh, 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. They, they are beholding God right now. Verse 11, And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he said, he laid not his hand. Also they saw God, and then listen to this, and, and did eat and drink. This is crazy. We have Mount Sinai, the children of Israel down here, and all the elders and everything, they go up to see God. They're beholding God, and right in the smack dab middle of the presence of God, what happens? It says, oh, they saw God also, and then it says, and they did eat and drink. What a weird detail. Does that not just um, kind of make you scratch your head? I read that before I had some of these revelations, and I was like, that's such a, a weird thing. Um, they're in the presence of God, and then the Bible just adds in, also they did eat and drink. They had a feast with God. This is what Jesus was talking about, Revelation 3.20. Come in with me. I want to sup with you. This was God's desire. God did not want to give people law. He did not. It wasn't his heart. But he knew he had to because the strength of, of sin is the law. He had to break his people so that they could humble themselves. Uh, it's almost like, um, you know, a kid. You have to spank a kid to teach them things. But when they're older, they'll operate and do those things not out of fear but out of love and respect for you because you taught them right. But children of Israel, they were not born again. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the natural man cannot receive the spiritual things of God. They couldn't understand God's heart. Nobody in the Old Testament could understand God's heart. It wasn't until Jesus came around. John chapter 1, verse 18, and the Son has unfolded. He has revealed God. That's what Jesus came to do, to reveal the heart and the intimacy of God. And he was full of grace and truth. Grace being influencing each other. The Son influencing the Father. The Father influencing the Son. They saw grace in Jesus. Amen. So they go and see God, and they're eating and drinking, man. What a picture. What a metaphor. When we go into the presence of God. Now, you know, the presence of God isn't some... Mystical thing that you only experience in heaven. 
or or in a service, you know, the presence of God is with you all the time. I can only speak for myself, but folks, I personally, I experience the love and the intimacy with God almost every second of every day. I feel his love continually flowing through me as simple as a branch in a vine. And I have a friend uh, who, who recently has been telling me, he's like, I just feel so aware of his presence. And I'm like, yeah, this is normal Christianity, man. This is where it's at. And the deeper you, you're in the word, the deeper that you're meditating and, and, and having friendship with Jesus for no other reason than you just enjoy him and he enjoys you, man. Me personally, I thought I was experiencing it, but these past two, three days, I've just been experiencing more. So keenly aware of my life union with Christ. And it's just like eating and drinking. It's, it's, it's you know, in the natural, you eat and you drink and it fills you up and you're aware that you're full. It's like that, but a spiritual principle. Romans chapter one says that God uses the things that we do understand to teach us the things we don't understand. That's what Jesus does. That's what a good teacher does. I had a teacher, um, a drum teacher, a wonderful man of God, uh, someone I just pay such high respects to that taught me um, a priceless amount of respect and, and, and fatherhood and uh, was such an influence on my life, this drum teacher. And he, uh, one time there was a lick I, I couldn't get. I don't know why. It was the sticking and the rhythm. And he, he knew that I liked a, a certain artist at the time. And he said, okay, you know this song by that artist? It goes, and he used that and he said it's the same rhythm and he 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 said the lyrics to explain to me the rhythm and then after that i got it and that's what a good teacher does a good teacher takes something you you do understand and it helps you to understand something you you don't understand jesus takes natural things and uses them to explain supernatural things for instance, marriage, marriage, two lives becoming one, uh, you become one flesh. Um, that is a picture of what happens when you get born again. And I won't get into all that because it's exciting and I'll talk about it for hours. But uh, that's what Jesus does. That's what God does. That's what he's doing in all of these pictures in the Old Testament. And, and in the word, you know, they see God and they're eating and drinking. That is what it's like when you are experiencing friendship, fellowship, koinonia, the Greek word says, with God. That's what it's like. It's, it's comparable to in the natural when you're sitting and you're eating and you're enjoying it. It's like when I sit down with my wife every night and we eat a meal. You know, it's special. Praise God, man. Man, I could just stop right now and just feel blessed, but... uh. I think we're about to round third here. You know, um, I want to turn over to one of my favorite books, which I don't talk about a lot, but I should. Uh, it's Ruth. Ruth is an awesome story about a man who falls in love with a woman, and it's just Jesus and his church. It's Jesus and you, and it's awesome. Uh, so Boaz, uh, Ruth has been serving in Boaz Field, and Boaz is just... He's asked his, his friends, who's, who's that woman? And they tell him, and 
you know, he just inquires about his soon-to-be bride. And uh, verse 14, it says, And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou hither, come here, eat of the bread, dip the morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her, her parch of corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. You know, just Jesus. Again, it's Jesus. He's saying, hey, come and eat with me, man. Get some bread. Um, Drink some wine. You know, it says that she she ate and she was sufficed. Man, there's this dualship that happens in, uh, with Jesus. It's on one hand, you're so content. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You get so content. But on the other hand, oh, you just want more of Jesus. I call it a holy dissatisfaction. It seems contradictory, but it's not. You experience Jesus on a new level, and you think, I don't need anything. I could be homeless, and I'd be happy. But on the other hand, you think, oh, man, dude, like, I want more of Jesus. And you have him in you, but you mean you want to experience more. You want to know more about him. You want to share more with him. You just want to share your life together with him. What a picture. Boaz and Ruth, they're sitting. He says, hey, come on at mealtime. Have some of my bread, you know, be sufficed. Praise God. You know, in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah, he was running from Ahab and Jezebel because she was going to kill him for reasons. And uh, the angel of the Lord came to him, or an angel. And, uh, you know, it says he gave him food and he gave him water. And then it says he went 40 days without eating anything after that. You know, that's just when you partake of Jesus, you can go out, you can do your day, anything that approaches you. You're so keenly aware of your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Anything comes against you, any problem in your life, your relationships, your work, blah, 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 whatever it is. Man, you just become so full of Jesus that when the devil pokes you, Jesus comes out. It's like you just... You're, you're throwing up Jesus because you're so full of it. I believe that's what the bride means in Song of Solomon chapter 2 when she says, I'm, I'm sick of love. Not sick as in stop, but sick as in, oh, I'm, I'm so, f I'm, you know, when you eat too much, you get sick. Well, in Jesus' case, that's a good thing. You're so full of Jesus that somebody just punches you in the gut, man. The devil tries to come at you. Boom, Jesus splurts out all over him because you're full of Jesus. Amen. And I want to clarify, um, it's not that you're not full of Jesus and then you're getting full. It's you're full of Jesus in your spirit. And when you're reading the word and you're praying in tongues and you're worshiping and you're seeking after God, all of that life that's in your spirit, that Jesus that's all in you, you're complete in him. Colossians chapter 2. It says the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And it says you are complete in Jesus. It's all inside of you, you know. It's right in your belly. Jesus said, out of your belly flows rivers of living water. John chapter 7, verse 38. And, and, and you have a whale on the inside of you. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. And you're drawing that water out. You're getting your mind and your body on the same page as your spirit. You have Jesus, but you're getting full of Jesus in your mind and your body. So just wanted to clarify that. I don't want anyone to think that they don't have the fullness of Jesus in them. You do. You just... You're just manifesting it from your spirit into your heart, into your mind. Amen. <sighs> I won't take time to go into it, but another thing about eating and all this stuff, Jesus tells a very popular parable. Band name, call it Popular Parable. 
Uh, it's called the marriage feast, you know, just another example of God inviting us to eat with him. Psalms 23, right? What is it? What is it? Um, Thou uh, anointest my head with oil, my cup runs over. You've prepared a table before me. You've prepared a table before me where? In the presence of my enemies. Well, why do you prepare a table? Maybe to do a podcast, but most likely it's to eat food. God has prepared a table where? In the presence of your enemies. This goes back to what we were talking about. Uh, just, man, come and dine, come and dine, says the Lord. Come and dine. Come eat with me. You know, when you're eating at the table, you you know, uh, you're eating out of the bowl of victory, drinking out of the cup of joy, and all the enemy and everything on everything around you, you can't even see it because you're focused on the bread and the wine that's in front of you, that you are partaking in eternal life. Praise God. Luke 24. I've probably mentioned this chapter a thousand times, but there's so much in it. It's so good. I, I just want to read some of it, and you can see. So keep the concepts we've been talking about in your mind as I read this. Come and dine, come and dine, says the Lord, man. So Jesus, he's resurrected. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they don't know that it's Jesus. Uh, He's walking with them, and it says, Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. They drew nigh into the village where they went, and he made as though he would gone further. Jesus is a sweetheart. He's not going to force himself on you. You know, hey, let me in. No, 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 he's going to leave. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us. He says, dwell with us, man. Mm, come abide. You know, Jesus lives in you. He abides in you. He, you're his dwelling place. You are his temple. Praise God. For it is towards the evening, and the day is far spent. And he went to tarry with them. Praise God. I know Jesus was really happy about that. Verse 30, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat, or as he sat at dinner with them, is what they would say, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he braked it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, while he opened to us the scripture? Um, I talk about why they didn't know him in that same episode. I've just seen Jesus, so you can check that out if that interests you, but... Man, Jesus, it's just a, when you're when you, when Jesus is abiding with you and you're abiding with Jesus and you're and you're dwelling together in friendship. Uh, Psalms one thirty three says, "How how wonderful and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity." He says it's like the dew on top of the mountain. It's like oil running down the high priest's beard. And Jesus is the head, and you're the body. And that oil, that refreshing fragrance, just washes over you it's like him kissing you with the kisses of his mouth he it's in the presence of breaking bread of sharing intimacy with jesus that your eyes are open and your heart burns within you amen you know i, I could literally keep going in so many instances in the word where it talks about eating and food and bread and wine and meat and all these things we have zachariah in luke chapter 19 where Jesus sees him up in the tree, or Zacchaeus, excuse me, he sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, he says, I must come abide with you. 
He said, I must live inside of you is the spiritual application. And then they go to Zacchaeus' house, a, a, a wretched, sinful tax schemer. Jesus goes and eats with him, the center of all sinners. And, and he eats with him. They break bread. And it's in that moment that Zacchaeus says, if I've taken anything from anybody, I'm going to give tenfold back. You know, Jesus graced Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus graces Jesus. And they're in this, this holy dance and fellowship and breaking bread, man. It's in, it's in this mindset. It's in this, this uh, seeking after Jesus in this friendship and this fellowship way that eyes are open, motives are changed, hearts are filled with the love of Christ. You know, last one I'll end with. Last one, I promise. Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, we have Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, but David, uh, uh, Mephibosheth's dad, Jonathan, which was best friends with David, has died in battle, and his granddad's dead, and when David became king, Mephibosheth's nurse dropped him, and he became lame, uh, crippled on both his feet, and he, uh, Later, David said, is there anyone left of, of Jonathan's or Saul's family? that I want to bless them. I want to grace them. And Mephibosheth comes, and, and, and Mephibosheth's like, I'm a, I'm a dead dog. Uh, you know, uh, you know I, I'm your servant. And, and what does David say? David says, no, you, I'm going to restore all the land to you, which in Israel in ancient times, that means wealth. That's the highest form of wealth was land. I'm going to restore all the land to you. This is just like Jesus Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 saying, I'm going to bless you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He hath blessed you. He has blessed you. He's already done it. And he says, you are going to eat with me at the king's table. Continually, he says. You're going to be like one of the king's son. That's what David says to Mephibosheth. This is just Jesus. This is Christianity. This is abiding. This is a form of it. This is you eating the love of God. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, he said, My words are spirit, my words are life. Oh, man, I hope this has laid a foundation. Part two is going to come uh, next week, and I'm going to talk about what does the bread really mean? What does the wine really mean? You know, uh, we're going to go into some of these things and get real in-depth and really break down the nitty-gritty of the Scripture. I hope this has blessed you. If it hasn't, it's blessed me. Uh, I know this is kind of abstract and weird, but man, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, they put these things in the Word for us to examine, to take in, and to understand. You can understand God. You have the thoughts of God. You feel the feelings of Jesus. You have the heart of God. You're one with Him. Nothing can separate you from Him. No, not even sin. Amen. Well, praise God. Let me bless you, people. Father, I just release heaven into these people's lives. And I thank you that they would, they would get alone with their heavenly groom, Jesus, and their hearts would start to burn. And as you grace them out of a love heart motive, they want to grace you back, Jesus. Father, Holy Spirit, and they, they partake in this holy dance that's happening all around them as you stick your hand out. To, to draw them in closer in their minds and their bodies and showing them what's already in their spirits, Father. I thank you all their needs are met. I just pray for just wild blessings to come these people's way. I thank you the eyes of their understanding are being enlightened. 
to understand and to know the love of Christ and to know Christ, which is to know grace. I bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can't wait to see you guys next week. Stay blessed.